0: Chapter three of the history of Miss Betsy Thoughtless, volume three by Eliza Haywood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter three has somewhat more business in it than the former. Though Miss Betsy was very conscious of the merits of Mr. Trueworth, and equally convinced of the friendship her brother Francis had for him, and had therefore doubted not but when that young gentleman should arrive, he would reason strongly with her on the little regard she had paid to his recommendations, or the advantages of the alliance he had proposed. Yet she did not expect the satisfaction of their first meeting would have been embittered by a resentment, such as it seemed to her he had testified on the occasion. She easily perceived the two brothers had consulted together, before they came to her, in what manner they should behave towards her, and this she looked on as a sort of proof that they intended to assume an authority over her, to which they had no claim the love i have for them said she to herself will always make me take a pleasure in obliging them and doing everything they desire of me but they are entirely mistaken if they imagine it in their power to awe me into compliance with their injunctions and yet cried she again what other aim than my happiness and interest can they propose to themselves in desiring to have me under their direction poor frank has given me proofs that i am very dear to him and i believe my brother thoughtless is not wanting in natural affection for me why then should i reject the counsel of two friends whose sincerity there is not a possibility of suspecting they know their sex and the dangers of which ours are exposed by the artifices of base designing men i have had some escapes which i ought always to remember enough to keep me from falling into the like ugly incidents again how near was i to everlasting ruin by slighting the warning given me by mr trueworth this reflection bringing into her mind many passages of her behaviour towards that gentleman she could not forbear justifying his conduct and condemning her own i have certainly used him ill pursued she with a sigh and if he should return and forgive what is past i think i ought in gratitude to reward his love she was in this contemplating mood when her servant told her that mrs modley had been to wait upon her but on hearing her brothers were with her went away saying she would come back again which she now was and begged to speak with her miss betsy was in this moment just beginning to feel some sort of pleasure in the idea of mr trueworth renewing his addresses and was a little peevish at the interruption she ordered however that the woman should come up well mrs modley said she as soon as she saw her enter "'What stuff have you brought me now?' "'Ah, charming Miss Betsy,' replied she. "'You fine ladies and great fortunes "'think you may do anything with the men. "'Poor Sir Frederick will break his heart "'or run mad, that's to be sure, "'if you don't send him a favourable answer "'to his letter.' "'In speaking these words she delivered a letter "'to Miss Betsy, which that young lady "'opened with a careless air, "'and it contained these high-flown lines. "'This humbly to be presented "'to the most beautiful of all beauties,' "'the super-excellent Miss Betsy Thoughtless. "'Adorable creature, I am grieved to the very soul "'to hear you have any subject for affliction, "'but I am very certain that in being deprived of your divine presence "'I endure a more mortal stab than any loss you have sustained "'can possibly inflict. "'I am consumed with the fire of my passion. "'I have taken neither repose nor food. "'Since first I saw you, I have lived only on the idea of your charms.' oh nourish me with the substance hide me in your bosom from the foul fiend despair that is just ready to lay hold on me the passion i am possessed of for you is not like that of other men i cannot wait the tedious forms of courtship there is no medium between death and the enjoyment of you the circle of your arms or a coal leaden shroud the one or the other must very shortly be my portion but i depend upon the heaven of your mercy and hope you will permit me to pour forth the abundance of my soul before you to bark in the sunshine of your smiles and to try at least if no spark of that amorous flame which burns me up has darted upon you and kindled you into soft desires oh if any part of my impatient fires by secret sympathy should happily have reached your breast never was there a pair so transcendentally blessed as we should be the thought is rapture ecstasy too big for words "'too mighty for description, "'and I must therefore for a few hours "'defer any further endeavours to convince you "'till when I remain, "'absorbed in the delightful image, "'dear quintessence of joy, "'your most devoted, "'most obsequious, "'and most adoring vassal, "'F. Finier.'" In spite of the serious humour Miss Betsy was in, she could not read this without bursting into a violent fit of laughter, but soon composing herself— if i had not seen the author of this epistle said she to mrs Mowley, i should have thought it had been sent by some schoolboy and was the first essay oh describing a passion he had heard talk of and was ambitious of being supposed capable of feeling but sure continued she the man must be either mad or most impudently vain to write to me as if he imagined i was in love with him and would have him on his first putting the question to me oh my dear madam said mrs Mowley, do you consider that a young gentleman of ten thousand a year in possession as much more in reversion and the expectation of a coronet is apt to think he may have anybody if he does he may find himself mistaken replied miss betsy haughtily and then in the same breath softening her voice but are you sure cried she that he has so much sure madam said mrs modley ay as sure as that i am alive i have heard it from twenty people they say he has a house in the country as big as a town and above fifty servants in it but he is but just come to london and has not had time to settle his equipage as yet but he has bespoke the finest coach and the gentlest chariot you ever saw all in a new taste and perfectly french they are quite finished all but the painting and that only waits till he knows whether he may quarter your arms or not Bless me, cried Miss Betsy. Does he think to gain me in the time of painting a coach? Nay, I don't know, answered Mrs. Mowley, but I think such an offer is not to be trifled with. He is violently in love with you. That is certain. He does not desire a penny of your fortune and will settle upon you, notwithstanding his whole estate if you require it. Miss Betsy made no answer, but paused for a considerable time and seemed as it were in a profound reverie. "'at last coming out of it. "'He is for doing things in such a hurry,' said she. "'I have seen him no more than once, "'and scarce know what sort of a person he is. "'How, then, can I tell whether I ever shall be able "'to bring myself to like him or not?' "'You may give him leave to wait on you, however,' cried the other. "'Here Miss Betsy was again silent for some moments, "'but Mrs. Mowley repeating her request, "'and enforcing it with some arguments.' well then replied she i shall not go to church this afternoon and will see him if he comes but dear modley continued she i don't let him assume on the permission i give him tell him you had all the difficulty in the world to prevail on me to do it for in my mind he already hopes too much and fears too little for a man so prodigiously in love mrs modley on this assured her she might trust to her management and took her leave very well pleased with the success of her negotiation we often see the love of grandeur prevail over persons of the ripest years and knowledge what guilty lengths have not some men run to attain it even among those who have been esteemed the wisest and most honest of their time when once a title a bit of ribbon crossed their shoulder or any other gugaw trophy of the favour of a court has been hung out how has their virtue veered and yielded to the temptation It is not, therefore, to be wondered at that a young heart unexperienced in the fallacy of show should be dazzled with the tinsel, glitter. The good sense of Miss Betsy made her see that this last triumph of her charms was a vain, silly and affected coxcomb. But then this coxcomb had a vast estate, and the enchanting ideas of the figure she should make, if in possession of it, in some moments, outbalanced the contempt she had of the owner's person and understanding the glare of pomp and equipage the pleasure of having it in her power of taking the upper hand of those of her own rank and of vying with those of a more exalted one it is certain had very potent charms for her but then there was a delicacy in her nature that would not suffer the desire of attaining it to be altogether predominant the thoughts of being sacrificed to a man for whom it was impossible for her to have either love or esteem to be obliged to yield that through duty which inclination shuddered at struck a sudden damp to all the rising fires of pride and ambition in her soul and convinced her that greatness would be too dearly purchased at the expense of peace in fine she considered on these things so long that she grew weary of considering at all so resolved to let the matter rest give herself no farther pain leave to chance the disposal of her fate and treat all her lovers as she hitherto had done only as subjects of mere amusement she was now beginning to please herself with the thoughts how mr munden whom she expected that evening would behave at sight of his new rival and how sir frederick fernier would bear the presence of a man whom she was resolved to show him had the same pretensions as himself but though she happened to be disappointed in her expectations in this she did not want other sufficient matters for her diversion. Sir Frederick, to show the impatience of his passion, came very soon after dinner. She received him with as grave an air as she could possibly put on, but it was not in her power, nor indeed would have been in any one else's, to continue it for any long time. His conversation was much of a piece with his letters, and his actions even more extravagant. Never was such an Orlando furioso in love, on his first approach he had indeed the boldness to take one of her hands and put it to his mouth but afterwards whatever he said to her was on his knees he threw himself prostrate on the carpet before her grasped her feet and alternately kissed each shoe with the same vehemence as he could have done her lips and as much devotion as the pilgrim's at rome the pantofle of his holiness darts flames immortal joys death despair heaven hell ever during woe and all the epithets in the whole vocabulary of cupid's legend begun and ended every sentence of his discourse this way of entertaining her was so extraordinary and so new to her that she could not forbear sometimes returning it with a smile which in spite of her endeavours to preserve a serious deportment diffused a gaiety through all her air those who had told sir frederick that the way to please this lady was to soothe her vanity either knew not or had forgot to inform him she had also an equal share of good sense so that mistaking the change he had observed in her looks for an indication of her being charmed with his manner of behaviour he acted and reacted over all his fopperies and felt as much secret pride in repeating them as a celebrated singer on the stage does in obeying the voice of an encore it is probable however that he would have continued in them long enough to have tired miss betsy so much as to have made her give him some demonstrative mark that the pleasantry he had seen her in proceeded rather from derision than satisfaction if divine service being ended some ladies as they came from church had not called to visit her the sound of company coming up the stairs obliged him to break off in the middle of a rhapsody which he doubtless thought very fine and he took his leave somewhat hastily telling her the passion with which he was inflamed was too fierce to be restrained within those bounds which she might expect before witnesses and that he would wait on her the next day when he hoped she would be more at liberty to receive his vows eased of the constraint which decency and the respect which she thought due to his quality had laid her under while he was there her natural sprightliness burst with double force Mr. Munden, who came in soon after, felt the effects of it. He indeed enjoyed a benefit he little dreamt of. The absurd conversation of a rival he as yet knew nothing of served, to make all he said, sound more agreeable than ever in the ears of his mistress. In this excess of good humour, she not only made a handsome apology for the treatment he had received at Mrs. Mowdley's, a thing she never before vouchsafed to do to any of her lovers, but also gave him an invitation to squire her to a country dancing in which she had engaged to make one the ensuing night. End of chapter 3